Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Here we see that there is a hierarchy of foolishness. There are different levels of being entrenched in sin. And the arrogant and the proud man is at the highest echelon of folly. Now obviously they are fools too. It's just that they are more hopeless than your run-of-the-mill fool. Because you can't teach someone who thinks they already have it all figured out. This was the problem with the Pharisee from the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He thought he was so great. He boasted of his good deeds and he bragged in front of everybody. But Jesus said, no, you have it all wrong. God is not a respecter of persons. All men are in desperate need of mercy and grace. And this grates against our natural bent. We all think we are right. Atheists think they're right. Buddhists think they're right. Muslims think they're right. Mormons think they're right. Christians think they're right. And so on. Or take political stances. The Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians, the Socialists, and the Capitalists. They all think they're right. Or on moral issues. The homosexuals, the abortionists, and the conservatives, and the traditional values folks. They all think they're right. The real difficulty of this is that the more grace we have, the more grace we receive, the greater our danger of failing this way, the greater our propensity to be arrogant and proud. Because God is real, and he sets objective standards of right and wrong in the world. He defines what truth really is and what lies are. He judges between righteousness and wickedness. And each of all of those stances that I just listed are either more or less in line with God's truth and God's standards. This means that the more right we are, objectively, remember the Pharisees were right. They sat in Moses' seat. They had the law and the prophets. The more right we are, objectively, the greater our propensity to think that we have it all figured out. And this is why we must be very circumspect with how we hold to the knowledge that God has graciously bestowed on us. We are the recipients of great truths from the scriptures. Jesus has revealed the truth to his people. Jesus has granted his Holy Spirit who reveals his truth to us. We stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants from the centuries of history. We can look around us and see the objective differences Christ has made in our lives from the way the world does things. 
We can and we must give God thanks for these graces. But we may not and we must not boast in our own worthiness or prowess. It is all grace. And here is why we must marvel at our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the most wise, the most good, and the most faithful man who ever lived. If anyone knew God's word inside and out, Jesus did, truly and actually, the way it actually is intended to be, be re, uh, received and interpreted. And at the very same time, he was the most humble man who ever lived. Willing to take on our burdens and suffer on our behalf and to bestow life on us by dying for us. Being absolutely perfect and holy, he did not look down his nose at us. He did not disregard us. He did not condemn us. He showed us mercy. And he showed us compassion. And this reminds us of our need to confess our sins. morning and we ask that you would teach us your truth we pray that your spirit would be here with us we pray that your knowledge and your understanding would permeate our lives we ask that you would change our hearts that you would soften our hearts and cause us to be conformed to your will to the image of your son pray that your blessing would be upon our worship this morning, that you grant us truth and peace and righteousness and understanding, and you bless this message in Jesus' name, amen. So our text today is what we just read, or a portion of what we just read from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and it it harkens back to several things that James has already said. We read it as, um, as we read it, it, it reminds us of, of, of a number of teachings that James has already given us. And let me show you what I mean. In, in verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conflict that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So here we're reminded of James's earlier command to seek wisdom from God. In chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom, let him ask of God. We're also reminded of the repeated exhortations to good works and mercy, especially in chapter 2, when he, James gives us a, a several verses, half the chapter is, is, a, is a monologue about faith and works. Works are always a necessary fruit of faith, and they display wisdom, as this verse tells us. In verses 14 through 18, the balance of the text that we are studying today, we're invited to compare two different kinds of wisdom. Wisdom from below, which James calls earthly, sensual, and demonic wisdom. This wisdom lies and boasts against the truth, and it spreads confusion and every evil thing. 
that's contrasted with wisdom from above, which is pure and full of good things. Good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And this again reminds us of gifts that we that God gives in, in that James reference back in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. See, wisdom from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So again, you see that there's no deception, no lying from God. Also, in, when he lists the good things that we get from, from the heavenly wisdom, we get warnings about partiality and warnings about hypocrisy. So he's, James spoke specifically about partiality in chapter 2. And he speaks of hypocrisy pretty much throughout the book. Um, in chapter 1 he says, Doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't be hypocrites. Chapter 2, he says, if you say, be warmed and filled, but don't provide the necessaries, that's not profitable faith. That's hypocritical faith. And as we studied in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, with our tongues, he says, with our tongues we bless God, and with our tongues we curse man. These things ought not to be so. This is hypocritical. This insistence from James about hypocrisy is really the focus of our entire text today. So last week when we looked at the sins of the tongue, James 3, the beginning of James 3 is all about the tongue. Last week when we looked at that, I quoted Jesus, and Jesus says this, It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So today, James goes where Jesus did. And that's to talk about the heart of the matter, our, our hearts. What's on the inside? What's going on inside of us? That What is coming out of us is, is, is because of what is inside of us. Where are your words coming from? What kind of wisdom drives you? Are you motivated? Are you driven by the wisdom of the world? Or the heavenly wisdom? Wisdom. And we start with this fact. I already read verse 13. Let me read it again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good works, by good conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. This is the fact. Whatever the wisdom is that drives you is evident. It is shown. It is, it is something that, that people see. James gives us a text. Don't forget the immediate context of this verse. We just spent the last two weeks talking about the dangers of the tongue. He goes right from the tongue to here's a test for you. How do you know? This is James' response to the, the dangers of the tongue. Who is wise and understanding among you? These are the ones who are qualified to be teachers. He opens chapter 3 with, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because of the tongue. This is the test. And the proof is in their life. It's in their actions. Let him show by good conduct. And James defines good conduct as works done in the meekness of wisdom. 
So that word meekness is the word humility. Words done in the hum- works done in the humility of wisdom. True wisdom is always humble. Remember our exhortation from the confession of sin. True wisdom is epitomized in Christ, who is the epitome of humility. True wisdom is patient, endurance, and trials, where James starts the book. True wisdom knows and remembers that God is in control and that he is good. Are you hearing all the themes from chapter 1 coming back out here? This means that whatever we do, we do with the patient assurance and confidence that comes from following Jesus Christ. That's what true wisdom does. We believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our relationship with God is reconciled. And therefore we can have these humble works of wisdom. Meekness is not weak. It's controlled. It is strength under control. That's a common definition that people give to meekness. It's strength under control. In works, it is the physical manifestation of what we need to have for our tongues. A bridle. Strength under control. It's a bridle that steers the whole horse where it needs to go. James tells us, whoever can control his tongue can control his whole body. And that's a perfect man. So this is how you identify worthy leaders. They must represent truth with their actions in their lives. They must not be hypocritical. And then James goes on to highlight what that looks like. What is the difference that the gospel makes in the world? True wisdom is contrasted with false wisdom. Heavenly truths are identified one way, and worldly truths are identified the same way, but they're identifiable because their fruits are very different from each other. Verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Earthly, sensual, and demonic wisdom is fueled by bitter envy and selfishness. Self-seeking in your own hearts. What's in you? What's there? What's driving you? What's causing you? What's, what's making the decisions in your life for you? Why are you doing what you're doing? If you're living by worldly wisdom, you're being driven by envy and selfishness. And take note that the location of envy and selfishness is internal. It's in your hearts. That's what the text says. That is the locus of hypocrisy. That's the definition of hypocrisy. Is when you are one way and you say you are another. In our hearts, we are jealous of others. 
in our hearts, we are deeply selfish. And we want what we want regardless of what lies in the way of it or of what God says about it. We pursue it. And because this is so deep-seated in our souls, in our hearts, we have a great tendency to be self-deceived. Remember James, James in chapter 1 again repeats himself three times. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Because our hearts are deceitful. Desperately deceitful. When we self-deceive, we, we rationalize sin and become arrogant about our own ideas, our own plans, and our own methods. In this self-deception, in this envy and selfishness, in this arrogance, in this worldly wisdom, what we are guilty of is suppressing God's truth. James says, do not boast and lie against the truth. We suppress the truth. We, we boast and lie against it. And that results, then, in confusion and every evil thing. Confusion and, confusion and every evil thing. These are symptoms of death. These are symptoms of sin. Confusion. God is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What's confusion? Well, it's not from above. It's not from God. Twice in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 14 and in chapter 16, we have the exact same verse, and it's this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That captures the, the point here. We think we're right. And we will boast and lie against God's truth. And doing so leads to death. Remember, this is New Testament wisdom literature. James wants us to think through this stuff. Wrestle with it. This boasting and lying, this arrogance is driven by a particular kind of wisdom. Worldly wisdom, which James calls earthly, soulish, or sensual, and demonic which is pretty dark. <laughs> we think of demons as kind of scary stuff. And it is characterized by self-deception, by rationalization. The ends justify the means. I want this, so I'm going to do that. And even though that's bad, that's okay, because I'm getting what I want. The ends justify the means, that we're going to rationalize it, and the result is destruction. Confusion and every evil thing are there. And again, how do you see it? How do you know it? How do you judge it? This wisdom is evident in the works. James says, where, what he's telling us is this. If you see confusion, if you see all kinds of a mess, you know you know somewhere somebody's being selfish. Somewhere somebody is being envious. That's what he's telling us. He's like, if, if you see these things, then you know wickedness is present. That wickedness is evident. This, this worldly wisdom is, is driving the agenda. 
And I want to draw this out. I want to I portray this for you guys by giving several different examples of different kinds of sin and how, how this works. What, what is the, the rationale in the sinner that gets him to do these wicked things? What does God say about it? What are the consequences of the sin? Um, let's, for instance, let's, let's look at the abuse of drugs. In our culture, drug users, drug abusers, will rationalize their, their, their abuse of drugs. They'll say things like, well, everybody else is doing it. So they're making comparisons between them. They're not looking at Jesus. Or, or it looks fun, or just this one time, okay, that's, that's how you go in there, that's how you start, turns into depending on it, relying on that drug for your respite, for your peace. You just need an escape from reality. Think about that. God is reality. What do you need an escape from? Or... Envy, selfishness. I just need I need an edge. I need a competitive advantage so I can get ahead. That drug will help with that. Or with it's natural. Herbs is a gift from the earth, right? You've heard this. Or it's wholesome. It's a miracle drug. It's a fat buster. You'll be skinny. Or it's desirable to make one wise. Again, that performance enhancement. Or it's legal, so therefore it's okay. Prescription med abuse. What does God say about it? There's a word in the Bible that's translated as sorcery, and that word is pharmakon. It is the Greek word for poison or for drugs. It's the root word for pharmacology, which is the study of drugs. Or for pharmaceuticals, which is medicinal drugs. In the scriptures, sorcery is listed as one of the works of the flesh. As well as one of the things that will earn people a place in the second death. Hell. What happens to people who sacrifice their lives to the pursuit of drugs. Well, confusion and every evil thing are there. Broken homes, broken marriages, broken families, wasted waste of money, waste of life, destruction. This envy and selfishness leads to destroyed life and death. What about sinners who are tempted to, to steal things, to, 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 to be thieves? I really have to have this. I can't afford it, but I'm going to get it anyways. I, I just need it. Or they'll rationalize about the way the world is. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and I'm just getting my slice of the pie. Or they'll lie about it. Uh, it's not stealing. I'm just borrowing it. Uh, it's not stealing. I'm just fudging the numbers. It's not stealing. I'm not. I'm just reporting a different number on my taxes, or I'm clocking in, but I'm not working. 
That's not stealing. They can afford it. They'll never miss it. It's the man, right? He's abusive anyways. What's the Bible say? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not even covet. Leviticus 19. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. God commands us to love our neighbors. And theft is abusing our neighbors. And the result? Somebody has to pay for it. Some, you're, you're, you're taking what does not belong to you. And God divinely protects property. Another sin, liars. What's world, worldly wisdom say about lie for liars? Oh, it's just a white lie. It's, it's noble. I'm trying to save face for everybody involved. Or, it doesn't really matter. Nobody will find out. Nobody will know. Or I'm not hurting anybody. And they'll use uh, equivocation with that word hurting anybody. Maybe somebody will not literally get bruised by what you're saying, but there's all kinds of different hurt. And lies destroy trust, and destroying trust destroys community and culture. The worldly says, wisdom says, oh, I'm going to lie because I don't want to hurt them with the truth. We can justify lying. Or again, envy. I'm just trying to keep that competitive edge. If I, if I lie about this car, then I can sell it. That's an advantage for me. It's selfish. God says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Proverbs 6. These six things the Lord hates, yet seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So lying made it twice on the list of seven things that God hates. Colossians 3, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Don't live according to that worldly wisdom. Lies are the root cause of confusion. It's because of the devil's lies that the confusion of sin and death ever entered in the world in the first place. It's lies that lead to all the other examples here too. Because if people are lying to themselves and they're lying to the world, they're lying about God, they're breaking the two greatest commandments. What about sexual immorality? People lie about God. They say, well, you only live once. Might as well make the best of it. They're never going to have to answer for this. That's what our culture preaches loud and clear. Watch TV. Listen to the music. It's a culture of death. It teaches that we evolved from monkeys and we have no moral responsibility before an eternal God, which is a blatant lie about what God says. Or, nobody will find out. I'm selfish. I can get away with it. Or, if it feels so good, how can it be wrong? Or, I was just made that way. I can't help myself. All kinds of excuses people make for sin. 
What's the Bible say? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Whoever looks at a woman to lust after has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What are the results of this kind of sin? Confusion and every evil thing are there. This is what leads to the murder of babies. In the womb that stains our hands in this country. This is what leads to the destruction of families, of marriages, of churches. Sexual immorality. And you can go through every sin that the Bible lists this way. It always is driven by worldly wisdom. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a kind of wisdom that is worldly. It, it, it's, a, it's a pride and an arrogance that says, there is no God. I don't have to answer to Him. So I can do this. And Paul sums it, he wraps it all up nicely for us in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is worldly wisdom. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He doesn't, he's not exhaustive. Things like that. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives us a list of the good things, the fruit of the Spirit. And you know this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc. But he finishes in verse 26. Let us not become conceited. Provoking one another, envying one another. This is exactly where James started. Exactly. Bitter envy and selfishness. Jesus does the same thing for us at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 21. And, and Jesus said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what hypocrisy gets you. And remember, that's where the root of the cause is. The root cause is. It's in our hearts. Envy and self-seeking. But James doesn't leave us there. He points us to the answer. Verse, verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, 
then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness and peace are the wisdom from above. Is that what's driving you? Is that what's in your heart? Because this is what your life is like, if that is what is in your, in your heart. Are you pure? Worldly wisdom is defiled, it's demonic. Righteousness and peace are pure. They're in accord with God and what he tells us in his word. And there's no shadow of turning or deviation in the Father of lights. He is consistent in his truth. It's pure. It's clean. It's clear. It's, there's clarity. There's understanding. You can comprehend it. It makes sense. Get rid of the confusion. Get rid of the evil. It's pure. Righteousness and peace are peaceable. Where worldly wisdom results in confusion and every evil thing, heavenly wisdom is peaceable. Sown in peace by those who make peace. This is all in stark contrast with what is coming up in chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, James is going to start really chewing them out. He's going to say, look, where, where are these wars and fights coming from among you? It's because of this stuff, this worldly wisdom that's in your life. But peace is what comes from God. Jesus reconciles men to God and to each other. Robert and I have been doing deacon training, and we've been reading through a book called When Helping Hurts, which is a great book, and I recommend it to you all if you get a chance to read it. But in it, he talks about the work that Jesus does in the world, and he, and he identifies there are four key relationships that Jesus reconciles. And it's in the reconciling of those relationships that Jesus reconciles all things to himself. So he reconciles man to God. He reconciles man with himself. In our humility and confession, we make peace with our own soul. So that we can trust in the value of our soul because Jesus died for us. And he's making us new and he gives us new life. And in the strength of that relationship with God and that relationship now with ourselves, we can now have peace with our brothers, with man outside of us. We start seeing other people as they are, human beings in desperate need of love and mercy and grace. So we can sacrifice ourselves like Jesus sacrificed himself for them on their behalf. And once God has made us right with himself, with ourselves, with our brothers, then he establishes peace between us and all of creation. So that we can forever build onward and upward, establish the, the, the house of God, the kingdom of God, throughout the ends of the earth. Jesus restores peace in all these relationships. Heavenly wisdom is gentle. The selfish drive of worldly wisdom inevitably revolts, results in violence. After the fact, sinners regularly say, 
Well, I didn't mean to cause harm. I didn't mean to hurt somebody. But in their sin, they did. But true love is gentle and kind. It genuinely does good and shows deference to the weak and the vulnerable. Righteousness and peace are willing to yield. This is stark contrast from the willful boasting and lying against the truth of the world's wisdom. Christ was willing to yield, even to the point of death. The glory of this is that in yielding, we win, because God is and He repays. Just like we read in our text from the, from the scriptures today. Jesus says, look, I am going to be betrayed and killed, but on the third day I will rise again. Because God is and He vindicates. He justifies. He establishes truth. Heavenly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. This has been a central theme throughout the book of James, and will continue to be so. This is the meat and potatoes of righteousness and peace. What does righteousness and peace look like? What did James tell us to look for? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's what full of mercy and good fruits is. Heavenly wisdom is without partiality. We studied this in depth in chapter 2. God is not a respecter of persons, and we are all one in Christ. How then can our community be defined by favoritism? How can you do that? You can't. Jesus loves us all, and we are all of eternal value in his eyes. You cannot show partiality. That does not bring peace. That does not establish righteousness. And heavenly wisdom is without hypocrisy. That's the heart and the soul of today's message. You want righteousness and peace? You must be pure before God in your heart. You cannot lie to Him. You cannot lie to yourself. And you cannot lie to the world. Your actions must be consistent with your confession. And your heart must represent the words that come out of your mouth. No hypocrisy allowed here. This brings us to application. And it's really straightforward, and it's really simple. Ask yourself, what's in me? What's in you? What are the fruits in your life? Do you see righteousness and peace? Do you see confusion and sin? Ask yourself. And then, God opens your eyes to wickedness in your life. Confess it. Repent of it and turn from it and humbly come to Jesus seeking his grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the book of James. We thank you for the wisdom that comes down from heaven that you have revealed in your scriptures. 
We thank you for revealing these things to us. For Lord, we know that without you we are nothing. But even in you we are often confused. And we often fail. But Lord, we lay hold of your gospel promises that are rich and true. We pray that you will establish your truth in our hearts and our lives. That you will build your kingdom in us and through us. And that you will establish the works of our hands. So that your name may be magnified. That you may be glorified. That your kingdom may grow. And that we may be blessed because of your goodness to us. That we may be faithful in proclaiming our gratitude to you. And declaring your lordship to the world. He's not interested in a bunch of selfish, proud, and jealous people who know how to put on a good show, getting together for a social club. He's not interested in patting our consciences or boosting our egos. He wants us to be holy and good down to our core. And he sent Jesus for that end, so that we might see the depth of our need and depravity and be broken and open to his call on our life. That he might give us life for death. That he might change our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. He offers us heavenly wisdom, free of charge. So humble yourselves and ask for it. Believe in his word and his gospel. And remember his sacrifice for your peace and righteousness. Jesus died for you. So receive him and rejoice. Praise God for his grace. This table is for all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. When we eat and drink, we confess that we are acknowledging that we are sinners and that we have no hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, which is only available in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's body. Broken. For us, let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.